One of the characters that seems to appeal to both genders at a very early age is, is a little character called uh, Arthur. I don't know how many have seen Arthur. He's, I guess he's a bear. I'm not quite sure what he is. And most of these animals that are in this series are, they're kind of amorphous. You know, you're not quite sure what, is that a monkey or is that a... Anyway, so Arthur, I think, is a bear. And there's this one episode where Arthur is absolutely in a panic. And he's, you know, and one of Arthur's famous lines is, he's always doomed. And that's the way he says it. I'm doomed. You know, and everything is bleak. And, you know, he's one of those kinds of characters. Anyway, Arthur is failing history. And it looks like he's going to have to give up his summer to go to summer school. And so he utters this famous line, and he says, those who forget history are doomed to repeat it. And it's a take on the old line about repeating history and making the same mistakes. But um, that's kind of thematically what we want to do tonight. I want to put a little piece of history out there, have you consider it, because fact is, our personal histories have a lot to do with, God, with what God is doing right now and what God may be planning to do. And in the very immediacy-driven world that we live in, it's sometimes difficult to stop and reflect, to stop and think about what happened. Geez, you know, maybe good a few days ago, week ago is asking a lot. And if you're starting to talk about what happened a year or two ago, you know, that really gets out on the fuzzy horizon. And one of the things that happens in a media-saturated culture is we become insensitized to history, our own and that around us. Everything becomes immediate-driven, and it becomes difficult to focus ourselves and remember what happened at some point in the past. So we're going to talk about that tonight. Okay, in your handout, we have four scriptures. I'm going to read those aloud. We're going to go into time of personal reflection. As we traditionally have had, we'll have some small group time. But here we go. Here is the story. This is a four-part story taken in very, you know, tiny little snippets. So the first is Genesis 33, 18 through 20, and I'm reading out of the NLT. Now, Jacob just been reconciled to his brother Esau, from whom he had stolen his father's birthright. So there's some pretty bad stuff going on there. And it says, later, having traveled all the way from Paddan Aram, which is near Haran, I'll show you where that is later, Jacob arrived safely at the town of Shechem in the land of Canaan. There he set up camp outside the town. Jacob bought the plot of land where he camped from the family of Hamor, the father of Shechem, or the king of Shechem, for 100 pieces of silver. And there he built an altar and named it El Elohe Israel, God, the God of Israel. So Jacob comes back essentially from exile, running out of fear of his brother, from whom he stole the birthright. And he comes to this place, Shechem, decides he wants to settle there and buys a plot of land from the, the king, essentially the, the guy who runs Shechem. So that's the, that's the tale there. Remember that. That's part one. Genesis 50. 24, 25, this is Joseph speaking. Soon I will die, Joseph told his brothers, but God will surely come to help you and lead you out of the, this land of Egypt. He will bring you back to the land he solemnly promised to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. 
And by the way, I kind of call him the big three. Okay, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. You rarely hear them mentioned without each other. So that's kind of for, for the Israelites, that's the big three. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath, and he said, when God comes to help you and lead you back, you must take my bones with you. So there's Joseph's bones. Joseph died at the age of 110. The Egyptians embalmed him, and his body was placed in a coffin in Egypt. Okay? So now we come to the Exodus. We've been studying. You've been hearing Pastor Terry teach on it. The Israelites are finally leaving Egypt, probably a lot longer than Joseph would have thought. We're actually talking 400 years here, so probably a lot longer. He, he may have thought they were going to go back pretty quickly, but, well, we all know the story at this point. Exodus 13, 19. Moses took the bones of Joseph, Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear to do this. He said, God will certainly come to help you. When he does, you must take my bones from this place. Okay? Following the story? Now, what place do you think they're going to and where he wants his bones to be buried? No need to raise your hand. Follow the arc of the story. Where do you think Joseph wants his bones to be taken? Look at Joshua 24, 32. This is now the children of Israel have just crossed over the Jordan River and begun to take over the land of Canaan. The bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel had brought up out of Egypt, they buried at Shechem. Interesting. In the plot of ground which Jacob had bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for 100 pieces of silver, and which had become an inheritance of the children of Joseph. So you catch the arc of history here? That was a long time ago. I'll show you that some of the dates a little bit later after we come back from our, our small group time. But there's a big arc of history here. And if somebody had been back, even at the time that Jacob brought his family to Egypt, 400 years before the Exodus, and said, you know what, this promise? What's going on here? We're, now we're enslaved. And yet God did not forget his promise. And Joseph knew this. And in a prophetic utterance, Joseph said, I know someday you will leave this place and return to the place that God promised our forefathers, the big three, and... I want you to take my bones with you. So we see here in a very small way a multi, you know, hundred year arc of history where God was constantly moving, perhaps not at the pace that anyone liked, but there was actually movement on the part of God. Okay, why, do we, why am I asking you to examine that? I want you to take a few minutes here, probably five to seven minutes, Hopefully that'll be enough. Um, and I want you to think back on your past. Have you seen something like this? Obviously not hundreds of years, but have you seen something like this in your own lives? Is there something that happened in the past that you later saw linked to the future? Perhaps you got, you know, you were 
called uh, to a particular area and something happened from there or you met a very, a very key person in your life and, and you didn't realize why and something happened. So what I want you to do is, and it may be a little bit difficult, but you know, stay with it. I want you to think about your past and see if you can find at least one incident where the past is, was linked to your future or where even today you may believe that something that happened in the past is, is waiting for something in the future to occur. We clear there? Okay, reach back. Um, or have you experienced a specific event that set the stage for something that happened in the future? Okay, let me just give you a brief example just so that I don't, I don't want you to, to, it might be a little difficult conceptually. It wasn't until many years um, after I came to know the Lord as, you know, in this state that I am today, I was, I was raised in the Roman Catholic faith. And I had forgotten that when I was a young boy, my, my great desire, the great desire of my heart was to be a priest. Okay? Then I discovered girls and, you know, fun and, you know, all this other stuff that, you know, anyway. So, you know, I left the concept of the priesthood way behind. About the time that I was, I'm going to say about 12 or 13, and I completely forgot about that. But eventually, when I came back to a place of dedicating a significant part of my life to ministry, I realized that that desire had been actually birthed way back when I was a young man. And that God had been at work, and I was drifting, but over the years, God had been at work to bring me to a place that he had showed me when I was a young man, too young to really understand. I just knew I wanted to be a priest. I didn't know what that meant or what the implications were. But today I'm here sitting before you in some respects fulfilling what God put in me when I was a young man. Okay, So that's the kind of stuff. That's a little bit of a dramatic example, but that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. And more, this is just an exercise even just to get you to think about the past you know, to, to get us started there. So that's our personal reflection time, and then I'll tell you what we want to do with a small group time. So let's take a few minutes to, uh, to just do that. If it's helpful for you to write something down, please do so, because you're going to refer to this when we do our, uh, our small group, okay? Perhaps some of you found this exercise relatively easy and perhaps others of you really, really struggled with it. I apologize, my intent is not to make you uncomfortable, but I am really trying to make a point here. Um, certainly it is relevant to, to go through an exercise like this, but it is so difficult. I, I more wanted to make the point, it is so difficult to practice any degree of reflection in our lives. It's just difficult. And most of us don't realize how significantly impacted we are by a world of imagery and constant online, constant bombardment of, of things. It is very, very difficult in this day and age to stop and reflect, to stop and contemplate something. And I can't tell you how many times 
over the years of being involved in ministry, I've had people say to me, you know, I, I don't know what God wants. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't know what direction my life is taking. And so often I'll ask a question that involves some historical perspective or some reflection. And, you know, it's unfortunate, but a lot of times, you know, people sort of reject that. That the idea that perhaps the key to the future might lie in the past or in part in the past or what God has done or who we have been or the things of life. And yet on some levels we accept this. If I told you that I was from an alcoholic family with an alcoholic for a mother or a father, you could probably come up with a number of, if you will, characteristics that I might struggle with or that I might see in my life because I experienced that in my family. Same for people who are victims of emotional or physical abuse or you know, addictions. I mean, we, we know that. We make those kinds of connections, yet when it comes to other, let's say, not necessarily traumatic events of our lives, it's almost like we cut the past out. We don't, we don't let it factor in to, to the things we're doing. To you know, Perhaps there are choices we made that bring us to a certain point. So it's this linkage and the importance of it that you know, more than anything else I wanted to, to bring to your attention, and particularly since we're not going to be together here for a while, you're going to be going away. Some of you are doing the, uh, uh, the reading through the Bible in a year, and we're preparing for Easter. So it's just this idea of being somewhat reflective and allowing some time for that is really important. So let's go to our small group time, and here's what we're going to do. Um, I, I want you to do something that has to do also with reflection, and that's being quiet and listening to one another, okay? I want your time together first to give you each time to listen to one another. Don't interrupt. Don't add an anecdote. Don't, you know, chime in with some, oh, yeah, I remember when. No, let everyone in the group speak out of what they, they just went through in the personal experience part, okay? We clear on that? Let's make sure we listen to one another. Um, and the intention is to inspire and learn from one another. Or then after you've heard from someone, then you can say, you know, I had an incident like that, or I remember a, something similar in my life. Okay, then you can have your discussion. So each person should describe what he or she thought about during the personal reflection period. And uh, the question for group discussion is, are there things that stand in the way of integrating or linking the past and the future in your life? What are they and how might we or you deal with them? Okay? What are the things that get in the way? Talk about those. Consider those. Write them down, if you will, because they're, um, they're important. They're important. They get, away, they get in the way of uh, the concept of reflection. Okay? So let's take some time. I'll call you back or when you're uh, getting a little bit closer to the time. But uh, as always, we have some tables set up over here in the uh, Connection Center, and we'll, uh, we'll take a good amount of time for that.
Now the piece that the, um, the four scriptures we looked at that are in your handout, that's a mini cycle within a bigger cycle. Uh, I, I wanted the one that, to just show you a picture of what's specifically related to Joseph and Joseph's bones. But if you step back, and I, I just wanted to give this to you because I know a lot of you are reading through the Bible in a year, and there are countless instances of these kinds of cycles of history or arcs of history throughout the Older Testament. And so as you're reading through, it can be really helpful to look at them because there's a lot of story between the stories if you, if you sort of connect the events in a cycle. So I've given you there in your handout, you have a map and you have a very, very quick timeline. So what's interesting about this is we're talking about a cycle that took place over about 700 years. And if you look at the map, think of where we are today. This is uh, over there on the very lower right-hand corner where Abraham started is Ur, Ur of the Chaldees. That is modern-day Iraq and Kuwait right down there. Modern-day Israel, you know where it is, and Lebanon over along the Mediterranean. That's the Mediterranean Sea on the left. And you see where Egypt is and the Sinai Peninsula. So, I mean, if you think about the size of the whole world, this isn't a very big area. And yet, a story with all these different characters takes place over a period of 700 years and up and back and then back again and then up and back and back again and basically traversing much of the same land. And therein is sometimes one of the lessons of history in our lives that I think, again, there's a, there's a bias against it culturally today. Oh, God, i got to cover the same territory? And for those of us who are following Jesus, there, yes, there is often times, there are often times when we have to go back over the same ground. Slightly different, but over the same ground. So uh, these are really approximate dates, so it's not like biblical scholar exact dates. Just take them as approximate. That's why I've got the little mark there. So about uh, 2092 B.C., Abraham is called out of Ur, and he comes all the way down to, uh, to around the area of Hazor and Shechem there on the, on the side of the Mediterranean. About not quite 30 years later, his son Isaac is born. A few years later, God calls upon Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. And if you want to write these down, I'll give you, give you where they are if you want to go back and look. So that first bullet point is Genesis 12. For those of you who like to go back, you want to do a, you know, if, if you're not reading through, you want to do a study between now and whenever, it's a good thing to do. The second bullet point at 2067 is Genesis 21. 2030, God calls Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. That's Genesis 22. 2027, 20, Jacob is born to Isaac. That's um, Genesis 25. And then the entire story of Jacob and his family and, and uh, how 
Joseph ends up going into Egypt is Genesis 27 to 35. And then uh, Joseph's time in Egypt is Genesis 37 to 45. By now you've probably read the whole book of Genesis if you're going through this. Right, right, after, um, right after that period um, in you know, Genesis 46, you, you begin to read about uh, 1877 B.C. where Jacob and his family migrate to Egypt under the protection of Joseph. So the point being here, if you read through Genesis, you could say, what a bunch of interesting stories. But you might not stop to look for the linkage, to see the events that are chain-linked throughout the book of Genesis with God at work. And it is important to remember that all the way back, you know, 700 years plus before Joseph's bones returned to Canaan, God made a promise to, to bring the people there. Now, hopefully God won't take 700 years to fulfill promises He makes to us, but He may take some time. And there may be travels and struggles that are required for us to get there and claim the promise. You've heard throughout the fall and Pastor Terry's series here in the spring, the study we've been going through, how much processing did the nation of Israel need to really claim anything? Right? We've talked about this here. We talked about it in the fall. Pastor Terry's talked about it. You're talking about a people who were in bondage, who didn't know the first thing about how to be community, about how to be good stewards of the provision God was going to give them. And they had to learn everything from scratch. What would have happened if God had just dumped in their lap incredible provisions? We know, don't we? No? What happens when we're unprepared for God's incredible provision, or any provision for that matter? How many people win the lottery and then a few years later you read a follow-up story in the newspaper, they're in the poorhouse? Am I right or not? Yeah? Okay. That's just human nature. And so there is a recognition of that. Yet somehow when we talk about these things, it's almost like we expect God to pour the whole thing out all at once, and God is saying, you aren't ready for the whole thing. I'll give you a piece. I'll give you a part. And even in that, we get turned around and we say, you know, I'm owed this. I did my part, God. How, you know, where's, come on, where's the payoff? And God is saying, that, that attitude alone tells me you're not ready for the provision. So time is often required. And the thing about looking at things historically is it makes us realize that. It helps to kind of settle us down a little bit when we're getting impatient. Okay, so uh, the Exodus is Exodus 12. Uh, next thing on there is, uh, or further down, at 1407, the people of Israel enter Canaan. That's in the book of Joshua, chapter 3. And this particular arc of history 
essentially ends with the people returning to the very place that Jacob claimed that Abraham passed through in Shechem, and that's in uh, 1380 B.C., thereabouts, and in the book of Joshua, chapter 24. So over 700 years. Now, what are the significance of Joseph's bones in all of this, other than kind of being an entry point to the story? Well, it is interesting that in Hebrew culture, ancient Hebrew culture, um, bones were symbolic. And they were, um, one of the symbolic associations was bones had to do something with one's well-being. So particularly Joseph's bones were a, a tangible, a physical sign of God's promise. Just in case you forgot along the way, all that time in the desert, and clearly the people forgot, didn't they? I mean, Pastor Terry just has been talking about that these last several weeks. What was it, a few days or a month or so, and they're already complaining, and then, you know, another few days after that, and they're complaining, and, you know, so it's real short-term memory. So if nothing else, the bones of Joseph were there, kind of as a floating memorial. And if you look at the Old Testament, there are many, many stories about people building memorials when they get to certain places to commemorate what God did so that they will forever remember the next time they go past that place, they can say, oh, that's where God did this, or that's where I met God, or, okay, memorials. And in the same way, it's important for us to build memorials of what God has done in our lives. Because as Arthur said, those who forget history are doomed to repeat it. Okay? We forget. We forget. We forget a lot of times what God has already done. We're already on to the next thing, looking for the next thing. And that, that um, anchoring in the past can be very, very important to us. So that's what Joseph's bones basically remind us of, that the future is in part anchored in the past. And without that kind of a perspective, it is really difficult to, um, to see God's work in our lives today because it's all about immediacy. It's really difficult to have any kind of a healthy perspective on crisis or difficult situations if we are not in some way at least partly anchored in the past. Because everything's panic mode then. Everything is new. Everything is taken on its own. And I am exaggerating a little bit, but not much. You know, because it's our human nature to forget. What'd you do for me yesterday, God? Well, you know, I already brought you out of addiction, and you're over here in this place. Yeah, but what'd you do for me yesterday? What do you got for me today? Okay, well, you'd be dead if it weren't for me. Yeah, but what do you got for me today? And see if we don't remember the past. If we don't put those memorials, the little, you know, the Joseph's bones in our hearts. And, you know, it was interesting. Somebody was telling me the other day when I was, um, um, I was talking to him about doing this, 
And I, I never realized it. I, I took it on, on faith, of course, because it is somebody I trust. But apparently, in the book, the Ten Command, in the, you know, the movie, The Ten Commandments, you know, Charlton Heston with the on-fire hair and the whole thing, right? There is, and, and I never saw this, apparently when they are crossing the Red Sea, they had enough attention to detail in making the film that in the background, you can see some people carrying a mummy. Okay, and I'd never seen it, but my friend told me about this. So even in that, you know, in that movie, they, had, they at least knew enough about significance to include the bones of Joseph getting carried across the Red Sea, and they were there. They carried them for 40 years. Luckily, he was embalmed, and he probably he was a mummy. You know, what we would call in modern day, he was a mummy. So he was mummified, and, you know, they probably had him in a box or something, and, you know. But there he was, a constant reminder of God's promise. And in this case, bones were a sign of well-being, a, a, if you will, a talisman, a marker for the future, where God said, Joseph said, God will, and you take my bones with you. And they finally did it. It's a joyous scene in Joshua 24. They are now in the land that God had promised them, they had dealt with some of their enemies, carved out space. They're getting ready to allocate the land amongst the tribes. But the first thing they do before they, they, anything else is they, they celebrate God's provision and bury the bones of Joseph. Don't forget the past. Do what you can to remember, to, to erect if you will, memorials in your heart for what God has done. Tell somebody about it. You did that tonight. Some of you will remember, at least for a little while, these stories you heard from one another. You may see each other in the next few weeks. You see somebody, there's a look of recognition. I remember you telling me that story. And you know what? I went home and it even meant more to me later on. Or I'm just happy to see you. How are you? This is how God connects us. We tell our stories, and our communal story is, is God's story amongst us. Now, just one last little thing, just so that you don't think this is, uh, this is all theoretical, if you will. Hopefully you aren't there, but if, you'd, if you were even inkling at theoretical, let me tell you a little, one last little story. You are actually right now, communally, and when you come here on Sundays, you are in the midst of an arc of history. Somewhere around 50 to 60 years ago, some people who weren't even from here felt a call of God to come to San Francisco and, and bring the gospel. Okay, so they settled in. They were a tiny little remnant of people. A handful. But they were faithful. They followed God. They were meeting, you know, initially they met in a house and then they met some different places. And at some point, this building that we celebrate in every week, weekend, came available. And it was a total act of faith. It wasn't like you see the church today. We're not even talking, you know, we're talking probably almost the crowd of people that are here tonight. Maybe a few more. 
certainly no more than about 50 or 60. Yet they had the faith. They had already seen God working. They had an assurance of God's call, and so they stepped out. And so here they are, this remnant, you know, just, you know, and there were no seats at that time. There were pews. There wasn't any carpeting on the floor at that time. There were pews, so, you know, the handful of people kind of huddled together on the pews, and this was the church. And one day an itinerant uh, evangelist came through and came, did a little campaign. So they said, sure, you can have the pulpit come weeknight, and there was the evangelist preaching. So the evangelist looked up, and he was praying. He said, you know, one day, I'm praying, and one day God's going to fill that balcony up with people. And at that time, the balcony was basically a storage bin. There was no warehouse. There was not all the spaces you see. The church offices weren't off-site. In fact, the pastor and his family lived upstairs on the third floor. Okay? So you can imagine how ludicrous it seemed to have somebody come in and tell you that your storage loft is going to be filled with people one day when you have this number of people sitting there. Now, you know what? They never saw it. But if you look in Hebrews, it talks about they claimed in faith something that they were never to see. And so tonight, when you come this weekend, remember, you're part of history. You are, we are, the benefactors of something that started 50 or 60 years ago, relatively recent history, but it started in faith. So are we responsible? Yes, we are. Ah, you're just asking me to do stuff because you need help. You're just asking me to serve. Everybody's got their hand on me because they just want me to serve. They want this. They just want my money. They just want my time. No, no. If we're part of this community, we have taken on part of that history. And we're responsible for it. The kids you see on the third floor today, who knows? So we live, we live in the midst of history, and nobody's immune from it. So as you go forth till we see each other again, come summertime, you know, some other, some other setting, try to take that in your hearts and your minds. Take it with you. When you walk in here this, this weekend, remember, picture in your mind that group sitting here praying for you. Praying that God would bring you here. Me. All of us. Let's pray. Lord, we are so prone to forget. We thank you tonight. We come before you with thankfulness, gratefulness for your provision. Perhaps for many of us, we didn't realize what that provision entailed or how we got here, but we know now. And I pray, Lord, that we would be 
not only caretakers of the story, but that we would be makers of the story. That in some way, whichever way you call us, that we would participate in that work, Lord. That we would be given that privilege. I thank you for everybody who's come tonight, for those who have been um, with us pretty consistently, for those who are just visiting tonight, Lord, I just thank you. Thank you for this opportunity to come together in community, to hear your word, to share, hear from one another. And Lord, I just pray your abundant and complete blessings on everyone here tonight until we are together again. Amen.